Thank you. Let's all stand together. I want to pray for you. As we all stand, thank you, Pastor Dan. This is my favorite looking stage in the nation. I love just the way this stage looks. This is like Texas. Um, let me just say this to you. I cannot be here without saying three things. Number one, um, when I, 40 years ago, I sang right over here. It used, it used they call it now um, fine arts, and, but they used to call it teen talent. Anybody remember teen talent? Um, I sang there and we got last place with the choir because we sang a real radical song by Keith Green called the Easter Song. And they gave us last place. We got, they said third, but we, there was only three of us. So that was, that's the, so I have a bad memory, but I have a good memory. And I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for one of my heroes, Pastor Des Evans. Um, when I, I used to get those tapes every month, John 17, my, one of my mentors, a man named Leonard Ravenhill said, you need to get these John 17 tapes from Pastor Des Evans. And so I called in, Priscilla would just send them and send them and the, I'm so grateful, free, they were all free, not a thing was charged, nothing, there was never a bill. God is so good, it was a cup of water. Thank you for investing in me and thank you for not charging me, Pastor. So what happened is um, my, daughter went into, my daughter went into my desk a few months ago and she goes, what is this? And I said, that's a cassette. And she had no idea what a cassette was at that time. Um, so thank you, Des, of the 14,000 books in my library. He is responsible for many of them, many of the authors he has suggested to me. I have bought, and he would meet with a poor little preacher every time I'd come into town from Detroit, Michigan. I'll tell you that story later. At a restaurant called, I don't even think it exists, Steak and Ale. Anybody remember Steak and Ale? Pastor Dez used to meet with me, and we used to talk. I used to get the Kensington steak, the Kensington steak, and I used to talk with Dez Evans every single time. So here's what I want to do. My dearest friends are here, Jonathan and Sarah. My family's here, my mom. I'm so thankful to everyone. And Olivia's here, who's seven years old today. And so I'm so grateful that all of them are here today. And there's always a struggle whenever you have close people to you because you're going like, man, I want to do good. I want to do good. I want to do good. Um, Dez taught me something over 30 years ago. I've been in the ministry now for over 35 years and he just said this. He was in probably one of those free tapes that you guys sent to me and it was just, and he said this, he says, there's many times that I'm preaching that if everybody says yay but God says boo, then it wasn't good. He says, but if all of you say boo and God says yay, then I did what I was supposed to do. So would you, would you pray with me and let's believe God's gonna say yay today. Can we do that? Father, thank you for what you're gonna do here today. What a joy, what a legacy, what a tremendous opportunity, God, we have today to hear from you. Thank you for the worship. Thank you for the time. Thank you for the ministry. Um, of Pastor Dan and Becky and how you have used them, Lord God. We pray hand of God rest upon them, their children and their new grandchild. May the hand of God just rest upon them. Do incredible things in the future of this church and even today in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. You may be seated. Take out something to write with. I want to just talk to you for a few seconds. Sheep, sheep get a bad rap today. Um, they, they're called dumb animals, and they're really not dumb animals. Um, I was reading an article a few years ago that said a sheep can understand 80 different voice commands. 80. It, they can understand not only their name, but voice inflection, and they are very intelligent animals. But what people confuse with sheep is that, that, that when they say that they're dumb, this is what the article said. 
the issue was that sheep do get dumb when they're afraid. When they're afraid, they do dumb things. And then the article said they're afraid of everything. So that makes them dumb all the time. So that, that's the problem with sheep. But I, but I get that because I think as that's, the, that's the terminology God has chosen to use even for us. He says, you, you are going to be sheep of my pasture. And how many know, how many, any join me that, that it is easy to get dumb when you get frightened? I mean, that's, I mean, my goodness, when, when there's a cough, when there's a cut, and then you go on Google to see what that cough is, and you're, come on, how many know what I'm talking about? I have, I have literally, I've had weeks to live because I've gone onto Google Doc, and I've just gone, I've eaten at babes, I don't feel good, what is this all about? And everything always ends up, you're dying. You have three weeks. I'm Cindy. Who are you going to marry? And so I go through all of those things. But that's what happens when you begin to get when you get frightened. It's easy to get dumb. And so I understand what sheep go through. And I even understand better that God would call us sheep. I want to take you to a story of a sheep that just got dumb. And I want to tell it the right way because. Um, I'm, though I'm grateful for what Hollywood has done with Christian movies that are flooding um, the scene um, from I Can Only Imagine recently and all the great ones that have come out, um, there are some that, that are sketchy. I mean, but I, I want to take a familiar story that kicked it all off, and it's, it's, I want to bring you all the way back to the life of Moses. And so whether we're dealing with the Cecil B. DeMille to the Ridley Scott one or whether we're dealing with Christian Bale and Charlton Heston, whether it's the, the Cecil B. DeMille voice of God, high reverb low, or the little baby ball Jesus in the Christian Bale one. Let's tell this story right today. So I want to go through this with you, and I want you to go with me to Exodus chapter 4 and 5, and I want to walk you through something that really God helped me with, and a story here that I started to see something that, man, really started to challenge me. Moses has just met with God, and God appeared to him in the form of a burning bush and has given him this assignment that he is to go back to Egypt and set the people free. So he's 40 years in Egypt, then he goes 40 years into the wilderness, and now he is about to start the Exodus and live another 40 years. And I want to pick it up where he just hears from God, and God is about to send him out, and he hears what God, the assignment of God is. Let me read to you the passage so we get this right. This is 4.13. Listen to this. Then Moses departed and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, which is the priest of Midian. This is the priest that he is not only his father-in-law, but really a spiritual leader. This is interesting to me. Please let me go that I may return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see if they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. Leave that verse up there for just a second. Let me, let me just tell you what was interesting about that to me. This is just free. This has nothing to do with anything, but I think this is good. Um, isn't it interesting? He hears the voice of God, but he still asks his leadership to bless the journey. Isn't it interesting? I've watched people leave for lesser things. This man heard from God, talked with God, audible voice from God, and still submitted the plan to leadership. 
And this is, that's a big deal to me, to go, man, this is burning bush. If anybody had the opportunity to go, heard from God, talk with them, saw him, take off my shoes, holy ground, bush burn, didn't, didn't get consumed, I'm going to Egypt. He asks his father-in-law, can I go? Here's God, obeys God, and submits to leadership. That's the difference between those who are sent and those who just went. And that becomes the difference in this passage which begins to challenge me when I begin to look at this that literally gets Moses going to where he was supposed to go. Now, how does he do, I want you to watch this now, how does he do on his first day? Let's read it. Exodus chapter 5, which brings us to the very next chapter of Exodus 5, 1 through 2, and here's what it says. And afterward, Moses and Aaron came and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God, the God of Israel, let my people go, we know that part, that they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. Here's what it says, keep going, next verse. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord, this is first day on the job, watch this Bethesda, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go, I don't know the Lord, and besides, I will not let Israel go. Now remember what we said about sheep. We said this, sheep are smart, until they get frightened, and when they're frightened, they get what? And the problem is that they are afraid of what? Everything. So I want you to see a sheep get dumb here. So here's the thing. He shows up. So here's what happens. Listens to God. Leadership sends him. First day on the job, Pharaoh doesn't go, yes, Moses, we've been waiting for you. God already spoke to me in a dream, so you are supposed to take three million people out of here. We'll put a halt to all of our architectural plans so you can obey the voice of God. Pharaoh says, who is God? Now remember, sheep are smart until they get frightened, and when they get frightened, they get dumb, and when they get dumb, it's because they're afraid of everything. Look at verse three and follow with me on a sheep that gets dumb on this. Look at verse three. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three-day journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Otherwise, he will fall upon us with pestilence and a sword. Keep that up there because this is, this is a real dumb verse. This is where sheep get dumb because he got scared that he listened to God, got the okay from leadership, but it didn't go too good on day one. And I want you to see a couple key words up here. Let me throw them on the screen for you. A couple key words up here. The first thing he does, this is sheep getting dumb. You're going to see three key words. It's please, three-day journey. Throw them up there. If you, if we can, okay, we'll start with please. It, isn't that interesting? God tells him to do this, and he thinks, well, if I just say please, which is the magic word, maybe Pharaoh will change his mind. It's not kind of like, hey, let these people go. No, please? Okay, that's dumb. Let me tell you the second thing. Number two, three-day journey. Look at this. That's not what God said. God didn't say, I need you to take a Martin Luther King weekend and get them out of there. We'll leave on Friday. You have Saturday, Sunday, and Monday off, and you're back on Tuesday in the chain. That's not what God said. But this is sheep getting dumb. So he's going, would you please let us go? Maybe not for a long time. Three-day weekend. We'll do, a, we'll do Memorial Day weekend. We'll do Fourth of July weekend. We'll even do MLK weekend. Just let us go out for three days. And then the part that really showed where a sheep can get dumb is on the third thing when he says or he will fall upon what does he say 
us. That's not what God said. God didn't go, you better, let, you better get out of there or I'm going to go after you. He didn't say that. He says, Pharaoh and all of his cronies are in a lot of trouble if they don't let you go. How you ended up with please three days and we're in trouble just shows why we are all sheep. Unbelievable that this is where Moses would end up after he meets with God, and these are the three things, this is what happens, this is his Google search, this is him dying, this is what he comes to, please, three days, and let us, let us go, or God's gonna be really mad at us, instead of, we're leaving, let my people go, or you're gonna be in a lot of trouble. That's how the whole thing gets shifted around. But here's what happens, and I wanna read to you the story. I've got just a chunk of verses to read, and then I wanna help you with something that God began to show me. So you remember this. Moses has obeyed God to go. Got a little hiccup in the situation, but he has obeyed God, and I want you to see what happens from here in these next few verses. Look at this with me, let's read them. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you draw the people away from their work? Get back to your labors. Again, Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now many. Would you have them cease from their labors? So the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters over the people and their foremen saying this. Listen to these words. You are no longer to give the people straw to make brick as previously. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. Keep going. But the quota of bricks which they were making previously, you shall impose upon them. So you're going to do the same work, but we're going to begin to make it even harder. You're going to have to get your own straw to make the bricks, the main ingredient of bricks, and you're going to have to do this all by yourself, and you better make the quota. You're not to reduce any of it because they are lazy. Therefore, they cry out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Keep going. Let the labor be heavier on the men. Let them work for it. And they, so they pay attention no longer to these false words. So the taskmasters of the people and their foremen went out and spoke to the people, saying, thus says Pharaoh, I am not going to give you any straw. Keep going. You, you go and get the straw for yourselves wherever you can find it, but none of your labor will be reduced. Almost there. So the people scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw, and the taskmasters pressed them, saying, complete your work quota, your daily amount, just as when you had straw. Can you imagine what begins to go through his mind on the very first day that he obeys God? Think about this for just a second. The doubts have to come. Did I even hear from God just to do this? Pharaoh all of a sudden turns against me. I knew First of all, I shouldn't be talking to any shrubbery, but I happened to be talking to a bush on this day, and I thought if God says for me to do something, it's supposed to go really good, but now it's going really bad. Let me just emphasize that again. If God says for me to do something, or leads me into a direction to do something, I thought that it's supposed to start really, really good. This, listen to me Bethesda, is what got me in trouble with God because the thing that messed me up is when my script and God's script didn't match on what's supposed to take place next. This is what brought frustration to me, even in my own life, when our scripts don't match because here is what I think God is getting ready to do. Either if I do what he says, either magic bricks or there's going to be magic straw. One of those things are going to happen. 
That either, so if I say, God, what do you want me to do? You're to go there. Pharaoh turns against me, says, no, no, you're not going to have any straw to make this. No straw, then here's what I think. Either straw is going to magically go from, here's my script, magically grow from the ground, or they're going to make bricks in heaven, angels will throw it and kill many Egyptians, and then we go out of Egypt. Something's going to happen. Magic straw or magic bricks But surely, we're going to hit our quota. Let me tell you, here's the question. Do they make their quota? Look at verse 14. Verse 14 says, Moreover, the foremen of the sons of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked this question. Why have you not completed your required amount either yesterday or today in making the bricks as previously? Look at me for a second, because here's the problem. There were no magic bricks. There was no magic straw. And you're obeying God. I am doing exactly what God has asked me to do. And now there's no magic straw. Nothing growing from the ground. No angels throwing bricks from heaven. So how do the people feel about this? Because, I mean, God sent them. Let's see what the people feel. Last verse. Here it is. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, why have you brought harm to this people? Why did you ever send me? Look at this. Ever since, stop right there because that is really important. Ever since I came to Bethesda. Ever since I started tithing. Ever since I became a Christian. Ever since that I came to Texas. Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done harm to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. All is what he says. Pharaoh is angry. The people are angry. Moses is angry. And God is doing just fine. Everybody's angry in this story except God himself. And so when I read this story, I'm going, God, I don't get it. He obeyed you, submits it to leadership, does, goes there, gets the hiccup of a little fearful moment, but does exactly what you say. No magic bricks, no magic straw, nothing is happening. Everybody is angry. How can this be God's will? I want to do my best for the next few moments to connect a few dots with you. And this is what I want you to write down and get ready. I needed to give you the 30,000 foot view so you can understand with me what's happening. Here's the big point. It goes like this. The big point is this. What do you do when I'm doing everything right and why is everything going so wrong? I'm doing everything you've asked me to do, God. Why is this falling apart? Why is this happening to my children? Why is this happening in my job? Why is this happening in my finances? I'm doing, this is the poster child for I'm doing everything right. This is the poster child for who has done everything. I've done what you've asked, but it doesn't seem, God, you've done your part on this. It doesn't seem like you showed up and doing this. Because it doesn't seem that, God, where I'm at is really the place that, that you are showing up at. Think about this for a second. You're going to have him here this year. I'm so excited. One of our friends at Brooklyn Tabernacle, Ravi Zacharias, is coming here. Ravi said something so revolutionary that helped me understand the ways of God. Here's what Ravi said. He says, think for a moment of the most difficult time of Jesus' life and ministry. Just think for a moment. What was the moment... That was the hardest for him. Here it is. He's hanging on the cross and he says these words. My God, my God. You know the rest of it. What does it say? Why hast thou forsaken me? And here's what Ravi Zacharias said. He says, what 
we forget to understand that the moment he felt furthest from God, he was in the center of God's will, redeeming the planet back to God. Think of that for a moment. He is right in the center. Redemption, the cross, the atonement, reconciling man to God. And at that moment, Bethesda, he felt furthest from God. At that moment, he didn't feel the presence of God. And then all of a sudden, it started to become a little bit clearer to me. Because here's what I love about God. God is so much smarter than us. He will never show you, or, or if God leads you, he'll only show you the end, but never show you the process. He will never tell Moses, you're about to go to Pharaoh. He's going to turn you down. You're going to have to go through 10 plagues. People are going to hate you. Everybody's going to, you're going to hate me, but we're going to get this thing done. He never said that to him. What about Joseph? Joseph, your brothers are going to bow down before you. That's the dream. Your brothers are going to bow down before you. He never tells them, your brothers are going to betray you, throw you into pits, sell you into slavery. You're going to be accused by some mad lady in your first job. They're going to throw you into prison. They're going to make promises to you, not going to keep their promises. And it's just going to happen for about 20 years, but then you're going to begin to see the dream fulfilled. If God tells them the process, then it's not a dream, it's a nightmare. Throw these down. These are free for you. You don't have to pay me for this. Let me just tell you this. Jot these down. You know what God's curriculum for Joseph was? Jot these three things down. Three things for Joseph, and he never told him. He says, number one, you're going to be betrayed by the closest people in your life. Number two, you're going to be accused of something that you're not allowed to defend yourself. And number three, you're going to be made promises while you're in jail, and they're not going to come through for you. Let me give you one more time because I'd rather get a degree at seminary than go through this curriculum. Let me tell you what it is again. He says this, number one, you're gonna be betrayed by the closest people in your life. I wanna see if you won't get bitter and you just trust me because the closest you are to people, always keep this in mind because this is important, is that the closer you are, the deeper it hurts. Intimacy is, purport, listen to me, Hurt is proportionate to intimacy. The closer I am, I've been shot at. I've had rocks thrown at me, bottles thrown at me on the streets of Detroit. But man, just let my wife look at me the wrong way. That's worse than a gunshot. I mean, just all I have to do is say something in the message and it's like, it's like, it's like at that point I'm going, I'm done. Why? Because hurt is proportional to intimacy. The closer you are, the deeper it hurts. And he goes, Joseph, your own brothers are going to betray you. Number two, you're, while you're on your job, the boss's wife's going to accuse you of doing something sexual, and it's not true. So you're going to be accused of something, and you have no way to defend yourself. You can't tweet. You can't blog. You can't go on Facebook. You can't do anything. And, and probably the immersed chapters are not even going to match what you're going through. And you're going to have to understand that what you're going through, you're going to have to keep your mouth shut. And I'm going to teach you... Not not only not to get bitter, but I'm going to teach you to let me defend you instead of you opening up your mouth. Number three, number three, this is all free. You don't have to pay this unless give me the tapes for free. Number three, here it is. And he says, now I'm also going to ask you that while you're in prison, you trusted in one of the convicts to give your story to Pharaoh to get you out. And the Bible says he left them in there two more years because he asked somebody else to let him out. And God goes, I need you to trust me because promotion doesn't come from the east or the west, the north from the south. When it's time to get out, I'll get you out of here and put you to where you need to be and set you there. Because only God can take a man who's wearing an orange jumpsuit that says convict 37298 and in one day put robes on him when God is ready to do it. Okay, but that has nothing to do with it. So let's keep going because this is really important. So how do I make sense when I am doing everything right but everything seems to be going wrong because this is where Moses is. 
And I want to give you what I, what I think is kind of two descriptions of the season and two ways to respond to this. So just jot these down. Here it is. Number one, sometimes the first day of obedience will feel like you made a mistake. Sometimes the first day that you go, God, I really feel like you said this to me. You're going to feel like maybe I didn't hear from God. Maybe that was a shrub. Maybe this is just not right. Maybe I shouldn't have done this. That's what happens when you begin to step into God's will. Sometimes the first day of obedience to go to a mission field, to go to a new church, to move out of a state, to go into a place even financially of generosity that you've never gone before and you're going like, this doesn't seem right because I'm expecting magic bricks or magic straw and there's nothing that's happening. Let me just tell you how it works. Um, when my dad retired from the New York City Police Department, we moved down here to Texas. Pastor Dez was here, John Wilkerson was at Bethel, um, I was here, and then while I was at Baylor University, David Wilkerson asked me, he said, would you commit to going to Detroit with my son to start a church on the streets of Detroit. Well, here's what I was doing while I was at Baylor University. To help pay for my, for my tuition, I was painting homes in Texas in the summer. Nothing, I'm just gonna tell you, don't be offended. The closest thing to going to hell is painting homes in Texas, in Texas heat. You can say whatever you want, you're delusional. It is the hardest thing in the world. I think I saw Lucifer. As I'm painting things, I'm just going like, wait, you look familiar. And so I've, I've been in those situations and thinking through. So when he asked me to not be here and paint homes to go to Detroit, I was in. It was, a, it was a summer mission trip, two months I committed at 19 years old in between semesters at Baylor University. And I, and I just said, absolutely. It was a wrong motive for going. I didn't want to paint homes. I went there. But isn't it amazing how God can use even a wrong motive to get you to where you still need to be? So I went because I didn't want to do that. So I went up there. I said, absolutely. I wasn't going up there because I was led. I wasn't going up there because a shrub talked to me. I went up there to go, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Showed up in Detroit. And at night, and this is why, listen to me close, this is why for all of you parents, mission trips for your young people are so important. This is why you send your kids. I committed two months and it changed my life. What I thought would be two months ended up being 30 years of my life. Some of your parents are going, wait a second. This is a good deal. Okay. You have to have the right motives. But let me, let me say this. Go up there, 19 years old, stick me in a prostitution hotel and said, that's your Bible study. I walked in there. I knew three chords on the guitar. I'd meet with all these pimps and prostitutes every single Thursday night that we would sit there at this, at this place called Midtown Motel on Woodward Avenue in Detroit. And for five straight years, you have to understand that I was born and raised in the church. I have never smoked a cigarette in my life. I have never been drunk in my life. I have never done drugs in my life. I was a virgin till the day I got married at 33 years old. And you're sticking me in a prostitution hotel? Are you out of your mind? Excuse me, God. This is unbelievable. What am I supposed to say to these prostitutes and these pimps? Like, man, I, I've been there. And just, you, you don't understand. You know how difficult Oreos have been? Double stuff coming. That's the only thing I was ever addicted to. Other than that, I had no story. I had no story. Go there, and all I knew to do was to begin to fast and pray. That's all I knew, knew, knew how to do, is just to fast and pray. That's what I was taught. That's how I was raised in the church. 
So I fasted and prayed. We go there at 19 years old, ended up preaching there, and eventually we started another church in a triple X movie theater, a 900 seat triple X movie theater. They shut the movies down the day we bought it, and we turned it into a church. And people would go all the time, You had church in a triple X there? I said, Absolutely. And it was still triple X. So we just had ex-junkies, ex-alcoholics, ex-prostitutes, ex-everything that would just meet there at the church. My nephew and his wife, uh, Douglas and Debbie, they, they were with us when we started the whole church and began to see God do amazing things. Men would come to this church thinking it was still a movie theater. They thought we were renovating it to have more movies there. They'd come in and ask, when did the movies start? We'd tell them Sundays 10 and 6. And they would show up and see me fully clothed and get born again. And men that used to sit in the chairs and watch porn we left the screens up and the very screens that used to show porn now show bible verses and show and begin to show lyrics and begin to set people free but we knew that where we were on one side of us was the deja vu strip club on the other side of us was the crown prostitution motel across the street from us was worldwide pornographic videos sounds like beach street but while we're there we wanted, we wanted the Deja Vu strip club. And, and God, I'll never forget, God spoke to me and said, I want you to go on a 21-day fast to bring that place down. Because it was, it, was, it was vacant, and we're going, we can get that Deja Vu strip club. And then all of a sudden, we found out that Hustler bought it and we're gonna, was going to turn it and, re, and redo it. And so we thought, let's pray that that thing. So we fasted and prayed. This is what I felt God speak to me, 21 days. The problem with me and fasting is I'm Italian. You, 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 you don't fast when you're an Italian. You just don't fast. It's just we love food. We love God, family, mafia, food. And that's just the way we operate fasting so for God to tell me to go on 21 days that's ridiculous but I felt it was God so we go on this fast and so when I started a fast don't judge me it's my rule is this if it goes through a straw it's legal and that's just the way we operate I'm just I'm just telling you it has liberated me thank God for bullets and blenders and just going let's go like look at this babe's chicken bam and so you just go like done so, first three days, through a straw, through a straw, through a straw. And it's going like making it, making it. And I'm the only one who gains weight on fast. But I'm, 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 we're doing this, and I'm watching that there. And this is what I'm expecting. God, you're going to start tearing that thing down. You're going to start going after that thing. That thing is coming down. I believe that God, as we fast, and I'm looking for the magic bricks. Here's what happened. First day we prayed, we started to see the scaffolding go up. And I'm going like... Okay, this is not what's supposed to happen. I'm hungry. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's you know, just scaffolding's going up. Workers will go up there, and they're going to fall, get killed, and lawsuits, and just... So I'm, I'm creating narratives of magic brick narratives. I'm just creating them. Then I'm watching signs go up, giant, giant billboards of, of, of women going up above it. I'm going, okay, all right, maybe wind will blow it over and kill people and, and then, the, the, or put a hole through. I'm thinking, by day 10, by day 10, I'm going, 
they're painting the outside, putting like this beautiful facade. It was looking better than our church. And I'm going, maybe you don't understand this, God. But when I'm not eating, I'm not expect. I'm fasting for us, not for them, because that building is really looking even better than our building. And what I don't get is how I'm fasting, I'm hungry, kind of a hunger strike, and you're not doing anything for that building. The, ever since I fasted, you're messing the whole thing up, God. And this is what I started to learn. Jot this down. The kingdom of God, get this, the kingdom of God is not technology. The kingdom of God is agriculture. We want internet speed when we do something, and God goes, I don't work that way. I work like agriculture. It's not speed, it's seed. I put a seed in the ground, and I'm doing stuff. So while you're complaining on top of the ground, I'm doing stuff that you don't even see even below the ground. Because there's stuff that's happening that you have no idea. People always ask me, they go, well, what happened to the Deja Vu Strip Club? And nothing happened when I was there. They ran all the movies until someone sent me six months ago an article that the, that the FBI went there. There, there, was, there was sex trafficking going, busted up, it sits vacant, and we're believing that the church is going to be able to buy that. But this is 10 years later that God goes, I have to finish this the right way and not based on your time and not based on your script. It never goes as fast as we want, but it doesn't mean that God doesn't have his eye upon the situation. It's like the old phrase, he may not come when you want him, but he's always right on time. That's the way God operates. Even when you don't feel like God is even showing up. I'm doing everything right, but everything seems to be going wrong. See, the story makes sense if Moses is backstage sinning, but he's not. He's doing everything right. And that leads me to the second thing I've learned in my heart season was this. When I don't feel God, get this, I'll blame God. When I don't feel him, then I'll blame him. When I find myself really getting in trouble. See, in this chapter, there's a lot of Moses in this chapter. There's a lot of Pharaoh in this chapter. There's a lot of people in this chapter. But there's not a lot of God in this chapter. That's the part that bothers me. I'm going like, I saw you in three and four of Exodus, but when I really need you in Exodus chapter five, I don't see you around in this. This is what really bothers me. I, I, my mind always goes back to something the Saddleback Pastor Rick Warren said when he said these words, the teacher is always silent when he's giving a test. The teacher is always silent. So there's moments that when you don't hear him, it doesn't mean he's not there. He's just walking us through something. And there are certain things, get this now, there's only certain things you can see in the dark when God turns the lights off. You can't see stars, you can't see the moon every night until God turns the light off. And there's sometimes God wants to show you something about himself, but he has to turn the lights off so you can see another different part of God. Because when, when it feels like I don't feel him, it's easy to blame him. It's easy to accuse him. My youngest daughter, a few years ago, we, it was, we didn't do food shopping or something. and So we told the kids, you get peanut butter sandwiches today. It's not because of the, the high charges of cassettes. But it was just, we just, there was no, it was just like, 
um, we, we're doing peanut butter sandwiches. Four kids and going to everybody. So Cindy made and my wife put them all lined up. Paper towels, peanut butter sandwich, peanut butter sandwich, peanut butter sandwich, peanut butter sandwich. The only person in that kitchen was my youngest daughter, Lauren Gwendolyn. And so when I walked in, there was a finger hole in every single sandwich. And I walked in, we've been having a problem with her at that time. She was lying about everything. She was a liar. And so I just thought, this is a moment. This is a moment for Lauren to finally tell the truth. I mean, I got her. There's no one around. There's a, Christian is outside. The other, the other two girls are upstairs. It's you, those sandwiches, you're caught. And so I just go, here's your moment, my mind. Lauren, remember, when I, when I don't feel God, I'll blame God. So I just go, Lauren, who did that to those sandwiches? And without missing an, uh, a, a moment, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus did that. I said, hold on. Nail-scarred Jesus, who's interceding for us in heaven, according to the book of Hebrews, came down, saw fit to stick four holes like his hands in four peanut butter sandwiches. Yes, I go, liar. When you don't feel God, you will blame God. And so many times we forget that when we don't sense his presence, we start thinking God is against us. Job said that. Listen to Job 7.29. Job said, if I have sinned, listen to these words, if I have sinned, what have I done to you, you who see everything we do? Why? Man, and I felt this way. Why have you made me your target? If I've sinned, I get it. But what, have I become a burden? Why, why would you turn against me in this moment? Is what Job said. He said, I feel like I'm a target. I feel like I, I'm your enemy. I, I get it. If I sinned, then man, take me out. But I'm doing everything right. And it seems like you've turned against me. One of the most profound things, I was reading in this book from the zookeeper called A View from the Zoo, Christian zookeeper from one of the most famous zoos in all of America, the San Diego Zoo, and he was showing this God's creation, God's intuition, and one of the greatest stories he told, he says, is the birth, listen to this, is the birth of a giraffe. He says, this thing is amazing. This is what he said. He said, when you watch this, and to see the documentary is incredible, this, this mother giraffe who's six, seven feet off the ground gives birth to one calf, and with its legs up, the womb opens, the baby drops six or seven feet to planet Earth. And watching the documentary on this is riveting as this giraffe hits the ground, and this little calf struggles to, to planet Earth going, I'm here with mom. And this is what the documentary said in Gary Richmond. He says, what that mom does to welcome her brand new calf is she will turn her back on that calf, lift up her back legs, and boom! I was going, what? Someone call the authorities. That, she's going to jail. I'm just telling you that right now. That's abuse. I'm going like, 
uh, this is your kid. You don't do that, doesn't do anything yet. Just wait till he's a teenager. Then you'll do that, but not now, not now. Or wait till peanut butter sandwiches. And all of a sudden, gets right back up, this little giraffe. Mother turns again, bam! Some of you are going like, I can't believe this. This is such a gruesome service. Just listen. Six times, it knocks it down. And I'm looking at this, and finally the announcer's going like, do you... Are you wondering why the mother is knocking? I'm going like, duh. I mean, like, are you serious? And this is what he said. That little baby thinks mom is the enemy, but mom is training that baby. Because when those lions hunt, they go after the babies because they don't get up very fast. And what the mom is doing when it knocks it over is teaching the baby to get back up. That when the lions come, it doesn't want the baby sta- sitting there on the ground trying to find a way that the mom isn't the enemy. The mom was teaching that baby to stand up. So when you're sitting here today and going like, why does God see against me? Why is God letting this happen? Ever since I came to this church, ever since I said yes to Jesus, ever since I started tithing, it seems like, and all of a sudden, there you are sitting on the ground going, are you, where are you, God? I've done everything right. And you feel like God has turned around. And what God is doing is saying, get up because I'm not going to leave you there because when the enemy comes around like a prowling lion you don't sit there it's time for you to get up at that moment and not just sit there it's time to get up at that moment and that's what this thing is I thought it's God against me and it's God literally training me because sometimes the Christian life I got it all mixed up this is what I realized think about this the Christian life is more, listen, is more walking than flying. Pastor Tim, what do you mean? Let me, let me explain to you. The great verse, Isaiah chapter 40, you know the verse? This is what it says. It says, you will mount up, we shall mount up with wings. Listen to it, you know the verse. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with what? Wings as eagles. They shall what? Not be weary. They shall what? Okay, keep that on the screen. Let, look at me for a second. I got it all backwards. I used to think the Christian life was, I just got saved. I'm walking with God. Now I'm serving. I'm in the choir. I'm doing this. I got filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm flying. And God goes, mm-mm, it's the other way. It goes like this. I just became saved. God is awesome. Uh-oh, I'm meeting some church people. I still love God. I still do it. And all of a sudden, you start going through a battle, and now the run turns into a walk. That's why it's not called a run of faith. It doesn't call run in the spirit. We walk in the spirit. But the issue is keep on walking. That's what this is about. Keep on walking. This is the challenge that God gives to every single one of us. Let me finish with this, and let me just close. I tell my kids all the time, I said, you've been ripped off. I said, Saturdays were the greatest days as a kid growing up. They were called Saturday morning cartoons. How many remember that? I said, you have no idea. It's like Hulu, Sling, Netflix. I said, you don't even get to wait. You have no sense of waiting. Zero. But we had to wait till Saturday. How many remember those? I mean, they had amazing. How many remember Johnny Quest? Johnny Quest. Scooby-Doo. Not the little baby ones. The real, fully grown ones. Here's what's crazy. Let me finish with this. I'm 55 years old, and I 
remember Saturdays, not even the cartoons, but something that used to occur in between the cartoons. And it was this crazy thing called Grammar Rock or Schoolhouse Rock. How many of you don't remember that? I'm 55 years old, and I, and I know how a bill gets passed because of that. I know what an exclamation point, exclamation. I mean, that's just, I, I know it. But above all that, 50 years later, 50 years later, I remember this like it was this last, like it was yesterday, Saturday. I know what a conjunction is because of this song. It goes like this, conjunction, junction. See, this is such a worldly church. This is such a fleshly church. You, should, you watch way too much TV. Let me, fin let me finish with this as Brent and the team come up. I want us to get ready to close. Here's what I've learned about God. Every, get this down, every situation you are in is connected to a conjunction. What's a conjunction? It's those small words, and, but, when, or, that says it doesn't matter what the first part of the sentence is, you can add a conjunction that can change the whole complexion of what you're going through. That it doesn't matter that you talk to shrubbery, Pharaoh didn't come through, the people are ticked off, everything's going wrong. When you connect it to a conjunction, then everything begins to change. So it doesn't matter, you can't finish, you can't finish the thought if it's connected to a conjunction. You have to put both of those things together. And this is literally, this is my favorite part of the story. Because when you, when you end the story at Moses in chapter 5 going, ever since I came, ever since we came here, you have done nothing. You have harmed these people ever since I listened to you to come. But that's just the first part of the sentence because chapter 6 opens up with the conjunction and this is what it says. Look at the screen. Then the Lord said, here it is, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. He says, this is you trying to make this happen happen. Conjunction, now it's my turn to step into this situation. This is you getting all angry, but you had to wait to make sure that you can't defeat Egypt, Egypt by yourself. You tried, you put one Egyptian under the sand when you began to kill an Egyptian for going ahead and messing with one of your brothers. But I'm about to show you, if you just wait on me, I'm going to put three million under the sand underneath the Red Sea. If you just wait for me to take over this situation, watch what I can do. Because your life is connected to a conjunction. And all you do is wait for God to show up. The greatest conjunction in the entire Bible. Here it is. Romans 8, 28. And, 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 and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those that love God and to those who are called according to his purposes. <laughs> Greatest conjunction. That's what God does. He says, it may not be good now, but it's not over. It may not. Your life is connected to a conjunction. God, I'm doing everything right. God, I've done everything you've asked me to do, but no. God goes, hold on, it's connected. 
And we know, Paul goes, put me in there, we know. This is not just Paul acting all religious. He goes, I had to figure this out. We know all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purposes. See, this is where God begins to finally show up. And I started to realize that sometimes in our recipe, stand with me, let me just say this. I think what I realized is this. There's sometimes in the recipe when it's bitter, it's not over, it's just part of the recipe. It's just part of the curriculum, it's just part of what God, I, you know, I've just made this recent journey of cooking. I'm loving it. My sister has taught me, my mom has taught me. All these cooking books, I'm, I'm, I'm buying, I'm, and I'm, I'm like on a roll of making stuff. Before, like growing up, it was just form and grill, like, and that's it, done. But now, I mean, I got spices. I, like, my wife is so, I mean, she is like amazing. I mean, she's graduated MBA from the fourth best business school in the country. She's gorgeous. She's, uh, I mean, just everything. Like, she, Love sport. Her ringtone on her on her phone is the Monday Night Football theme. Seriously, I'm Monday. I'm just going like, can we just watch like a chick? She's going watching football, and so, I mean football. I mean it's it's one Christmas she got a cordless drill and I got a KitchenAid mixer. <laughs> Honest truth before Jesus. So I'm just going like, ooh, a mixer. And she's going to drill. I'm just going. That's why I'm afraid. I totally am. I am afraid of my wife. And I tell people all the time, I said, if I'm just like, I'm just not here, I said, she is always suspect number one. I just, I'm just telling you. So like, if she brings a date to the funeral, lock her up. I'm just telling you that right now. So when I was learning how to cook, I remember make, doing my first baking moment. I'm going like, I'm making... And then I just didn't understand, I didn't understand the concept. It's like going, add flour. I'm going, that's gross. Flour, put salt. This is supposed to be sweet. And, and all of a sudden, it's, and, and, and I'm looking at the ingredients and I'm going, how can this turn into chocolate or brownies or cake if you're putting in that bitter stuff? But when you put everything together, put it in the oven, it may not look like it's gonna start off right, but over time, you're going, ooh, this is cake. And then you're going, this is brown. And you're going, but it didn't start off that way. And this is what you realize. There are some moments when God is making you into what you wanna be. There may be a few bitter moments, bitter weeks, bitter months, and a bitter season. It's just part of the recipe for what God is doing in your life. Chapter five, chapter five of Exodus is flour. Chapter five is baking soda. Chapter five is salt. Chapter five is raw eggs. But chapter six, that's cocoa. Chapter six, that's syrup. Chapter six, that's icing. Chapter six, that's sugar. But here's the thing. But when it all comes out, three million people leave Egypt. People get out of slavery and they get to do exactly what God wanted them to do. 
bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. Brian, I want to come back in just a moment. I want us to sing that song, the one of uh, the one that you led. I want to, that's the one I want us to sing. That's the one. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to ask you a question. You're going, Pastor Tim, that's me. I'm in that moment. I'm in that sea. Everything's, I'm doing, I feel like I'm doing everything. Man, I'm praying, I'm immersed. I'm, I'm caught up on the Bible. Acts 14, boom. I'm there. But this is unraveling. This is falling apart. I feel like I'm doing everything right, but everything seems to be going wrong. Welcome to the club. I felt like I needed to confront this or speak to this or, or, or say something to this, and it doesn't seem like it's going right. And, and, and I'm at that moment, because my script, listen, my script doesn't match in God's script. There's no magic bricks, there's no magic straw, and I said, ever since I said, ever since we made the decision, ever since we decided to, and then all of a sudden, things seem to become even more difficult. And I'm here to tell you, don't sit in that seat. God may, you may feel like God just knocked you over and God's telling you, get back up. Don't sit there. This is just a test. Chapter six is coming. Your life is connected to a conjunction. Our business has taken this turn. Our finances have taken this turn. My marriage has done this. My children have done this. My health has done this. Ever since I said we would do this, ever since I fasted, ever, ever since I fasted, it seemed like the deja vu theater wouldn't come down. But this is just a moment. As Brent and the team led us, this is the moment that God, that, so we have to sing. I remember the line. It was singing in the storm. That's just the line. That's, the, that's what the song says. That's hard. I hate singing when it's difficult. I like singing when everything's right. Chapter five singing, that's hard. You know that. That's hard stuff. It's hard to sing. But today, maybe, maybe you got just a little bit of eyesight. Maybe just a pair of glasses just made it a little bit clearer going, got it. I got it, Tim. No, 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 this is, this is just one of the ways of God. This is, this is what he does. This is part of the ingredients. And if you're here today, every head bowed and every eye closed, and you're here going, that's me. Man, that's, that's what we're faced with. This is what's going on. Family, life, this is what we're dealing with right now. And I'm just praying, God, keep me strong because I know my life's connected to a conjunction. I don't see the conjunction yet, but God, keep us strong right now. Keep us strong right now. If that's you right now, just going, I get it. That's me. I'm in that. Just raise your hand real quick. Hold it up high. Just go. I want to see all over this place. Keep them up high. Keep them up high. I want to make sure I see it. Keep those hands up. Okay, here's what I want you to do. If your hands are up, I want you to come right now. Get out of your seat and come meet me right here. I want to pray for you.